MacArthur? Uh, we do. It's going to be three and pretty familiar names. Ryan Pollock, Adam Pellick, Scott Mayfield, all out in various stages of injured reserve and long-term injured reserve. So uh, they've been winning without them, which is a bit of a surprise, kind of a, a bit of a mash unit thrown together back there. But, uh, but yeah, they've been able to persevere and beat some pretty good teams without those three who have been here and been, been a part of the core for a long time. I noticed that the the at five on five some of the 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 regulars the the usual suspects are putting together pretty good seasons. Has that been a key? The, the maybe more consistent offense. Yeah, I mean, I think the offense has been has been most helped by having a competent power play, which they haven't had for a couple of years now. And I think the addition of Bo Horvat as one of the trigger men there and. Matthew Barzell uh, looking to shoot a little bit more, kind of not being much a full-on playmaker. And Noah Dobson, who's, I think, a guy that hasn't been talked about a whole lot, who's having a fantastic season, uh, not just on the power play, but but overall as a guy who is one of the is the only guy left in the top four who's healthy and uh, up to playing, you know, 25 minutes a night and and really still improving as a young guy. So, uh, you know, the offense, I think, in general. Um, Five on five, they've certainly shown the capacity to score, which is something that's bedeviled them for a couple of years, even going back to when they were successful under Barry Trotz. But uh, but really, the focus for them is uh, they got to score one more. They got to score the last one because it's really been a difficult grind for them to to close out games when they've been able to score three or four, or even five sometimes. Going back to the 2018 draft, the the Oilers were looking at number ten. Uh, choosing between Evan Bouchard, Oliver Wallstrom, and Noah Dobson. Oilers chose Bouchard. Islanders chose Dobson at 12, and in between got Wallstrom. And the two defensemen uh, are are either emerging or are there as NHL players of some impact. But with, with Wallstrom, it seems like the bloom is off the rose a little bit. Played in, this is five different NHL seasons, at least a little since his draft day. Is he... Is he struggling? Is he improving? Or are they just kind of wondering what they have there? You know, I think it's uh, he's struggling for sure. And I think the the issue for him is that when they needed offense in the past, they could look to him, whether they'd put him on the top power play unit to try to get that going. He's, he's still, you know, he's, he's had an NHL level shot for a long time, even going back to that draft year. But, uh, but I think it's the, it's the awareness and it's the, without the puck play that's really that's really kept him from being a regular and now as you pointed out the offense is pretty good so they don't really need to turn to him um and it's more defensively as a as a five-man unit on the ice that they need to be better and smarter and i don't think that's an area where he's progressed enough to to be a regular if they were still scoring one or two goals a game and, and fumbling around with a 12 percent power play i think you'd probably see more of him but uh but he hasn't been able to, to become a regular, and, and you know I think going back to a, a few years ago when he hurt his when he hurt his knee and, and missed most of the season last year, I think he was on a little bit of a roll before that and, and really lost his way a bit and wasn't quite prepared coming out of training camp to to be to be a, a regular player this year. So uh, you know I don't think it's all hope is lost for him at age 23, 22, 23, but uh, but he's definitely not on the, the track they thought he'd be on. Arthur Staple, our guest from The Athletic on Sports 1440 and the Lowdown with Low Tide. I really liked your John Tavares piece. That it was great. The Islander fans don't forgive, and we, we know that. And and But I also love the, the, the other part of that piece, which is talking about how well the Islanders have played in the years that followed uh, that, that 
you know, jumping from the Islanders to the, the to the Maple Leafs. That was some great management and coaching by the Islanders. And I think maybe we just gloss over that point sometimes where uh, I remember Lamarillo saying, I think I can't remember what draft year it was, but saying at the draft they were trying to trade him. And I thought, man, this is going to be tough. And yet that's where they they went and they have had success. And maybe we just expected it, but I still think it was a hell of a job by management and coaching there. Yeah, it really became, you know, it became kind of a rallying cry. You know, it was Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz, I think, was on the job maybe for about 10 days before Tavares made his decision. Uh, Lou was there for about six weeks, so it was difficult to, to try to persuade Tavares that, that things were on the right track. And I think when he left, uh, a lot of his teammates, guys who he's, was and still good friends with were a bit stunned and and I think they used it as as a kind of a rallying cry to you know one one more indignity in the last 30 years of indignities being an Islander fan and being part of the franchise that's had multiple owners con men trying to buy the team not much success uh and whatever success they had had was a lot due to Tavares so I think when he made that decision uh, it was a little bit of a, you know, a little bit more of a gut punch for people inside and outside the organization down here. So, the way that they were able to use it, kind of remake themselves as a team that was uh, difficult to impossible to play against, a team you couldn't wrest the lead away from. Barry Trotz, you know, one of the master motivators as a coach uh, at that time, and and you know, certainly before that time, um, it just was uh, things kind of came together, and it. And it it can feel a little bit um, maybe like overkill to Leafs fans when they see the fans at UBS Arena still booing Tavares, saying, you've had the success, you've moved on, we've moved on, why can't you just stop? And I think it's become a little bit of a, almost like a good luck tradition now that some fans still still find that, that reservoir of discontent that they felt back on July 1st of, of uh, 2018 when he decided to leave. And, and you know, I, I don't know that it'll continue on forever and ever i think uh i am hopeful that uh, if the islanders reach out uh when tavares is done playing and he wants to come back down here that'll be welcomed back properly but i think the welcoming committee now is uh is tending towards booing we're just gonna have to everyone in the hockey world is gonna have to live with it well and and you know it is a compliment in a way i mean pot van sucks i don't know if it still exists at madison square garden <laughs> but that went on for decades Still going on, and I, oh. I, I did write that, too. I think it's, you know, the Islanders have some chance that they like, but there's nothing to really, you know, you've you got to have a little a little hate in your heart to be a, a, a fan of, a, of any team. And, uh, you know, the, the Leafs, I think, have a little bit of uh, that. The, the 2002 playoff series uh, in the first round, the seven-game series, that was as wild as any playoff series in the last, you know, in the 21st century. Still, still resonates with a lot of Islander fans. They don't really have a lot, you know, before, before 2019, they didn't really have a lot of playoff history in the last 20 years to look back on. So there's a little bit of that. And I think, you know, the feeling that Toronto is the center of the hockey media universe, of the hockey universe, without really it being completely earned with tons of success. So I think that drives a lot of fan bases of other teams crazy. So, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, and I don't think it's done with incredible malice at this point. There certainly was vitriol the first time he came back and everyone kind of got out of their system. And I think now there's a feeling of, you know, it, it, it like you said, it's, I think it's a little bit of respect too. Mm-hmm. He was such an important player for nine years here. He was the guy that brought them out, helped bring them out of the darkness, did a lot of the leading, won them the playoff series in 2016. And, um, 
So I think the the anger comes back up, but I think it's also a grudging respect. And um, like I said, I you know I feel like in the coming years, when his time with the Leafs is done, or maybe his playing time is done, there'll be there'll be uh, a reconciliation that uh, will make everybody happy. When you described uh, Toronto as uh, more attention than maybe their record or their success deserves, you've described all of Canada except Toronto. I want you to know that. <laughs> Um, well, I'm not, I'm not indicting anyone else. No, that's right. Okay. Uh, the other one, there's two more that I have for you. One is um, you, you, your mailbag was interesting to me because it was about the Rangers and Islanders and, and mostly Rangers. But there was a, somebody who asked you about, you know, hey, can you do a Rangers-Islanders trade? And you came up with a really good one. I think Matthew Robertson would be a good acquisition for the Islanders. But I was trying to remember, and I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I remember the Ron Stewart trade, which would have been right around the expansion draft. And then... They don't trade much, do they? These two teams? No, hardly ever. And I, you know, I can you get it the optics. I, I think it's kind of, you know, if Edmonton and Calgary were really talking about a major trade that was going to help both teams, or if one team was a little bit down and one team was on the rise, uh, you don't want to be the GM that's responsible for helping out, not just a big rival because I, the Rangers and Islanders are obviously geographical rivals. They haven't played in the playoffs in, in thirty years, which is a real shame. Um, but I just feel like the, the blowback you'd get from just being in the area and helping a rival team become more successful is, is always going to be in the back of anybody's mind as a general manager. And whatever teams say now where they'll, they're willing to trade in the division, especially if you're, you, know, you need to sell and you're headed towards the lottery, uh, that's a different scenario. Both teams, you know, these are teams that have been sitting 1-2 in the, in the Metro for the last few days and uh, if the Islanders had held on to a couple more leads, they'd be vying for first place together. And, and so I think with both teams going so well, it's hard to envision a, a real hockey trade. So I came up with a very boring you know, prospect that maybe run the course in the organization type trade. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it would be great. And, and you think about even um, just the last trade between the local teams when, when Lou Lamarillo got Kyle Palmieri and Travis Ajak uh, a couple of years ago at the deadline from the Devils and went on to – get within a game of the Stanley Cup Finals. I can't imagine that uh, that even Devils fans, there's fewer of them around probably than Ranger and Islander fans. They don't want to think about that. They don't want to see Kyle Palmieri scoring goals in an Islander uniform. So uh, it, there's always that hesitation, I think, that keeps it from happening in a big way. So final question for you. Uh, Connor McDavid heading to uh, the New York, New Jersey area for the next three games. I know the, the games are televised. Uh, Oiler fans often wonder why uh, national games in the States featuring Connor McDavid start at 8 o'clock, uh, um, you know, late games starting at Eastern uh, time at 8 o'clock or local time at 8 o'clock and starting at 10 Eastern time. Um, how much of a buzz is there about Connor McDavid uh, visiting New York, New Jersey this week? You know, I think there's always, there's always interest, especially when it's someone who plays, who doesn't, you know, uh, doesn't get to come down here but once a year and it's nice that that it's all three teams kind of in a row and it can line up where espn is showing all three games and um you know you think about some of the great Sidney crosby plays here a lot i, I think a lot of islander fans would just as soon never see him again since he's torched them for so many years but i think mcdavid's kind of a different animal just because it's uh you know it, it seems a little new and and exotic when he's here and um there's been some good games. I think the Islanders tend to get up for those kind of games, especially in past years where they want to be able to shut him down. You know, uh, it's too bad that his old Erie teammate Adam Pellick won't be out there because that would obviously be the matchup. But um, 
you know, but I think when it comes to the Rangers and just recent history, when the Oilers came back from three three nothing down in the third period to beat them uh, in regulation last season was one of the one of the few games in the last couple of years of the Rangers where they really, uh, you know, kind of fell apart in the, late in the game, especially against a guy like that at the Garden. You know, a daytime game. It was uh, it was a lot of attention to it. So I think there's they're probably feeling like we'd like to see them again and, and kind of right that ship, especially with. Chris Knobloch now behind the bench, to, who was a candidate the last two times the Rangers had a coach a coaching vacancy and obviously coached their minor league team for the last five years. So there's a lot of ties there. And, and I think for the Islanders, just the way that they've been losing leads, defending late in games, this is a huge challenge with the way their D is lined up. I think Noah Dobson's probably going to see McDavid and Dreisaitl uh, for about uh, – Hey, you know, if they split those guys up, I think Dobson could play 40 minutes in this yeah. game tonight if they need him to. So uh, it'll be interesting to see without kind of their core, you know, three of their core four on D, how they can handle McDavid and, and really just the way that the honors have been defending at all in general, even when they were closer to full health has been been a bit of a problem. So uh, they may not be completely looking forward to McDavid, but some other fans around the league might be looking forward to this one to see what he can do. Thanks so much, Arthur Staple. Appreciate it.